0: Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Gabriel Weinberg. He's the CEO and founder of DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine that doesn't track you, and it focuses on smarter answers. He's also an active angel investor and the author of Traction, a startup guide to getting customers. Previously, he was the CEO and co-founder of Obobox, which was sold to United Online in 2006. Welcome to the show today, Gabriel. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the backstory story of DuckDuckGo. This is a show for small business owners and entrepreneurs, and I'm sure that they would love to get into your mindset as you came up with the idea for this company and how you got it started. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Sure. I mean, it was... Um kind of more of a slower process. I had uh, sold this previous company and was in 2006 and then kind of taken um, some time off and moved to Pennsylvania and, and was here um, not really knowing anyone and my wife got a job, so I had a lot of time. Um, and I started just exploring projects I was personally interested in but with the idea of starting another company eventually, but um, with not trying to come up with an idea, just kind of work on stuff. Um, and I found myself searching a lot and found myself dissatisfied with my search results for, for a few reasons. One, there was a lot of spam in them. Um, just sites with just ads. Mm-hmm. Two, I I was finding myself going directly to sites. I'm sure you, you guys do too, like Wikipedia for, you know, biographical info or Yelp for restaurants. And my thought was just, you know, these sites have great answers. Why can't the answers be on top of the search results? So I don't have to, you know, click around. Um, and I, I, I did projects around those things, but they weren't search engines. And then one day I just realized, you know, this—you could put these things together, remove spam, and, and put instant answers above results, and you'd have a more compelling search experience. And so I um, kind of refocused on creating a search engine then, and um, that took a while, and then finally launched at the end of 2008.
0: What in your background allowed you to be able to tackle such a huge project? I mean, you're talking about competitors like Google. What What is it that you had that you thought would, would allow you to compete with, with those kinds of giants?
1: You know, honestly, I just wasn't thinking about it from that perspective. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> the uh, one thing that's changed a lot in the past 15 years in tech is that it's just so much easier to start a company in terms of what you need to get started all all across the board. So hardware, you know, you can just lease from Amazon now. Um, Software, the open source software um, is is really just tons of components you had to build before are now just available for you for free. And then on top of that, you know, DuckDuckGo and at the time I used a lot of other companies' APIs to kind of piece together data um, and, and results to to form an initial product. Um, And so there was less, it it probably wouldn't have been possible even five years before. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a lesson. Is like every year that goes by, new things are possible for someone to just kind of easily get started. Um, But I do have a technical background. I I was a physics um, major in college. And so I, I knew my way around, and my previous company, I did a lot of the programming and um, systems administration. So I, I had kind of a broad array of skills to, to tinker, if you will, with a lot <laughs> yeah. of different things. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that it was the, like a lot of these things seem daunting, but they're less daunting when you try to make them as simple as possible and use off the shelf components.
0: Mm-hmm. So you didn't really set out to undermine Google per se. You just wanted to build something better based on your own needs and and what you wanted to see and then you put it out there and what was going to happen was going to happen was that more the trajectory?
1: That is right. And I I had actually at the time started a bunch of projects of uh things I was interested in. I had done that um uh the last time around too. My, my previous startup, or right before that was started, I started a bunch of different projects and put them kind of out there and see what the market feedback was. So it was very much, um, you know, do do a bunch of things, see what people seem interested in, and then kind of focus over time on what seems like it's taking off. Um, and taking off, I mean, I don't really mean taking off. I mean, people were interested a little bit in, in what right. it was. Um yeah. And and that was certainly true with Art.co. I put it out there, and there was clearly kind of pent-up demand for something different, Um, and especially in the instant answers and spam area and eventually in the privacy area. Um, And I kind of was encouraged and motivated by that interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how did how did people find out about DuckDuckGo? I mean, I'm just thinking of myself. Uh, Google is so ingrained in people's minds when they want to go look something up on the web, they might not even know there's an alternative like DuckDuckGo. How did you get that out there?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's actually the more difficult problem in search engines is getting people to switch and even to getting them to know about you than it is to mm-hmm. actually do the technology. Um, and in all honesty, it's true. Um, and so it, it's really varied as we've gotten bigger. So early on, um, you know, we actually ranked in Google for the term new search engine and people, some people found out about us that way. Um, and then in the tech kind of circles where I launched it, um, and then we quickly outgrew that. And then in the last, you know, year or two, it's been mainly mainstream press, you know, like shows like this and, um, uh, word of mouth. And um, so people are kind of motivated enough by our mission of, you know, better results and great privacy to, to really spread it. And we've been trying to empower them to do so.
0: Yeah, in fact, you've tripled your numbers in the last year, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So to give you a sense of the scale, we we did about a billion, over a billion searches in 2013. And we tripled, like you said, 300 percent just since last summer when the um, NSA revel- revelations broke.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What what has been the Edward Snowden effect on your company? Of course, he's back in the news in a big way again. He's been all over the major networks again yesterday and today. Uh, What impact has that had on your company?
1: So, you know, as you mentioned, we don't track users at all. Um, And what we've learned in the past year, if anything, is that our eyes are just, I mean, our data is just not safe from crying eyes, be it from. Um, the surveillance or from corporations, because a lot of the data that was getting used, you know, that the revelations from Edward Snowden came from corporations, Um, but they're not just for the government, they use it for their own purposes, so I'm sure you have noticed all these ads that follow you around the internet.
0: Oh, yeah, you look for a dress on Nordstrom's, and then it's on your Facebook page, and it shows up in your email, it's creepy.
1: Exactly. So that is, that's the direct result of, you know, these companies tracking you across the internet. But it's really just the most, you know, visible evidence. There, there's plenty of other things going on that people don't know about as much yet. Like you're, you're also getting charged different prices on those retailers based on that same data profile. And, you know, our basic proposition is, you know, if you can get great results and great privacy, why not just, just switch to it? And, And that's really why we think we've grown in that context.
0: Okay, so big question then of your business model. If you're not tracking and collecting this data and then selling it to corporations and others, how are you making money with DuckDuckGo? How does that
1: work? So it, it's actually quite simple, and we make this we make money the same way that Google makes money. It's just kind of a myth that you need to track people to make money mm-hmm. in web search. And mm-hmm. the reason is that we you know when you type in say dress. Um, you get an ad related to dresses um, and that has nothing to do with you. I mean, it really just has to do with that search term. Um, all that tracking is for other things. It's for that following ads around the internet on you, which, you know, we, we don't do because we just run web search, but uh, Google and other companies, they run all these ad networks uh, where they make a lot of their money. Um, and they also run sites that are harder to monetize, you know, like email. And so they need your search, history to target ads effectively on these other sites where they run, Um, whereas we just focus on web search, and it can just show you an ad just based on that uh, keyword you type in.
0: Okay. And when we get back, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Benedictine College, but when we get back, we're going to talk more about those search results and how they are different from some of the other search engines out there. You say you have smarter answers. We want to hear about that. So stay tuned, and we'll be back with our guest today, the founder of DuckDuckGo.
1: Do you practice entrepreneurship? Intrapreneurship? Do you know how to show what you know? Benedictine College Executive MBA Program has been the launching pad for many successful, innovative products, services, and ventures. As the only one-year executive MBA program in Kansas City, our conveniently located North Johnson County campus and weekend class times will fit your busy schedule. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA to learn more about our program. With the real Obamacare please stand up? The no-politics, spend-free zone for health care and the Affordable Care Act. I'm your host, Alex Greenwood, and I'm joined every week by your federally certified Affordable Care Act specialist, Mr. Greg Howard. That's a mouthful. You said it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what we really do. What we really do is help people understand how the Affordable Care Act impacts them, their family, their business. We make it simple so that people can go on with their lives. Couldn't have said it better. Myself, and you'll find it every Friday at 1 p.m. on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. That's Would the Real Obamacare Please Stand Up Fridays at 1.
0: Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Gabriel Weinberg, who is the founder and CEO of DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine that is quickly catching on. They've tripled their numbers in the last year, as a matter of fact. And they don't track and sell your information. And so Gabriel was talking with us here about that business model. And one of the things, in addition to not tracking and, and selling information, Gabriel, you say you have smart answers in your searches. What do you mean by that?
1: So when you do a search, you know, you're generally looking for an answer. Um, and, yes. you know, you, you do that by often clicking, you know, on, on various links and trying to find that answer yourself. Um, but over time, you know, there are thousands of sites that have great answers across a wide variety of categories you know, like a Yelp for restaurants or Rotten Tomatoes for movies. Um, And, you know, and it gets very specific. On on very niche topics, there'll be often a leading great site, like Baseball Reference for Baseball Statistics, for example. Um, And so what we've done is we've had our community of users tell us the best sources for answers for all these different topics. And then we go out and partner with those sources and showcase their answers above the results and try to give you an answer above the result um, whenever possible. Um, and this approach is just fundamentally open as opposed to the closed approach from the other search engines. Um, and, and that's really the difference, is that we're we're doing this partnering with data sources and our users instead of kind of buying data and um, companies. And as a result, it's smarter because we're relying on the smartness of our community.
0: Yes. Yeah, and that that is a big, that is a great big focus of DuckDuckGo is on the community itself. In fact, I think somewhere on your site it says that you focus more on the community than on algorithms and computers.
1: That is right. I mean, we see ourselves as a community-driven, a community-based search engine um, in in a lot of different ways. Like we we just mentioned a very specific way that we, um, you know, We kind of rely on our community to help us formulate the best answer sources, but they also help us with all sorts of things from spreading DuckDuckGo, like we mentioned earlier, to translating our site, um, to just giving us feedback. We we recently launched a new version, and it was largely based on all the feedback from our users that we listen to every day on our forums. Um, So, I mean, we consider the community really our extended team, because we're, we're a small team, and, you know, Google has 50,000 employees, um, which is hard. is is mind-boggling, and, you know, our employee base, you know, beyond is small, and so we rely on our community.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think that's something with all the technology that we have come to rely on and depend on that we're starting to see and hear more of is that people, miss that sense of community, uh, that that contact with other people and, and instead of just this amorphous cyberspace. And so I think you're on to something there. Now, you just mentioned that your website's recently undergone a redesign. Tell us about it, and how does it enhance the search engine itself?
1: Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, we grew about threefold in the last year. And so that's a lot of mainstream adoption, A lot, a lot of from stories around Edward Snowden um, and in that mainstream adoption we received a lot of feedback from new users um, about you know things that they were missing or otherwise preventing them to switch to F.D.Go and the new redesign was to address all that feedback and speak to it and make it to a point where it is now where you can just switch to it really and not look back um, mm-hmm. and, and the main focus was a more refined look so uh, we tried to be much more modern uh, forward-thinking in, in our results layouts, which we, we think are just fun and nice. To, they're a fun experience to be on your search engine, as opposed to some of the other search engines kind of look like they're still in the late 90s. Um, and then Smarter Answers really was the focus um, for the redesign in terms of functionality. Previously, you could only have one answer per search result, um, and in the new redesign we can fire many different answers. So if you type in like cake, for instance, um, we can give you a a meanings instant answer as well as a definition and recipes um, and products um, and all at the same time across a a bar at the top. Um, So it really was two things. It was a more refined look and smarter answers.
0: Okay, and you mentioned fun. Of course, the name Duck Duck Go is fun. how, How did that name come about?
1: So the name came about even before the search engine even existed. I I was on a walk with my wife, and it just popped into my head as, like, an interesting name. And she, she like, pretty much hates every name I come up with ever. Um, (laughs) But she liked this name. And so my thought was whatever I end up doing next, it should be that name. And so that's what I did.
0: Okay, and so it, it's not—it doesn't have, happen to be fashioned after the children's game that I'm you know. Not.
1: It must have been in my mind. It wasn't direct. <laughs> it wasn't directly fashioned off of it. I mean, there's no uh-huh. metaphor there. But, and, and I don't recall thinking about the game, but it, there must have been some connection there when I was on the walk.
0: I think that between the name, uh, some of the fun things on your website, uh, even when we called you today, and and the message on your machine from Sesame Street, you are bringing fun into something that has routinely been very sterile and, and very... Uh, like I said, you just feel like you're in cyberspace and there's really no connection, but you're bringing fun and community back into the process and giving very, very um, good results, as you as you said. So whenever I, I see a company do that where they can combine the technology and the fun, I just always think they have a leg up to begin with. Now, let's change the subject just a little bit. You're currently an active angel investor. You've written a book called Traction A Startup Guide to Getting Customers. Can you share some of the advice from that book? What's the book about?
1: The book really came from an observation from doing angel investing and seeing a lot of companies kind of struggle. And really what it comes down to is all failed companies generally built a product of some kind. You know, they were able to do that. So you don't fail because you couldn't build a product or a service. You fail because you don't have customers. And what I saw was, you know, people not taking a systematic approach to getting customers. So people have methodologies for building products. You know, you have a product cycle, and you get feedback on your prototypes and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to getting traction um, and getting customers, people were just thinking of it as an afterthought. I'm going to build a product first, and then I'm going to just kind of try a scattershot of things. I might try a Google ad here, newspaper ad, or or, um, they just kind of brainstormed, randomly, and it was kind of a random walk until they ran out of money. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's that's the reality for a lot of companies. And so what I thought was missing was a more systematic approach to getting customers and getting traction, and that's really what the book is about. And in researching it, you know, uh, me and my co-author, co-author went and interviewed all sorts of, uh, you know, successful entrepreneurs, a lot of people do in these books, but instead of just interviews, um, we really pulled apart the different channels they used to get traction, and there were 19 that we identified. Wow. Uh, the stuff, stuff that you're familiar with, you know, Google Ads and and um, social, but also, you know, things that you don't normally think about, like, like community building or offline events or affiliate marketing. And what we found was any given company generally took off from one of these channels, but it was hard to predict which one it was a priori. And so you had to do experiments in several and think a little intelligently about them. And so what our book has at its basic level is trying to do is just to educate you that there are these 19 channels and that you should, you know, figure out probabilistically which are the most likely to maybe impact your company and try them and then focus on the one that's really working. Uh, that's what it really is in a nutshell.
0: And did you draw on any of DuckDuckGo's uh, founding uh, in in the book itself? I mean, you've been through the angel investment round yourself, and uh, you've had to go through all of the the pain and the uh, hiccups that any startup does. So, did you rely on any of that for the
1: book? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, we, we've we had a similar story, um, you know, in different stages of our growth, one channel has dominated, as is the case most often. And then we also write in the book about another framework, which is which we call critical path, in which we use at our company, which is, you know, always know what are the critical things you need to do next and only do those things. It's just another way to say focus.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: and that's another area I see companies struggle is that they don't really have a good framework for what to do next and so they do a lot of different things that turns out that most of them are a waste of time when they look back in hindsight.
0: That's a great point because not only – if you're not focused and you don't stay true to one or two really key core things and you you start branching out, especially too soon into some of these other areas, you not only waste your own time, but you dilute your message at a very critical time in your existence when you're trying to educate the market about what you are, and if you're 16 different things – Nobody really understands what you are. And so in addition to wasting time, you, you never manage to capture the market because nobody understands what it is you're trying to achieve or what you're offering.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, when it's in front of you, it's, it's such a harder decision yeah. because a lot of times these come as opportunities, you know, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah. someone someone's offering to do this business development deal with me. And it, this could be really big if these three things happen, you know. and it is, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, those opportunities that are that are really business killers, but you don't know that until afterwards. It's it's kind of, you know, you have to be a little bit of a psychic sometimes with some of these things. I, I didn't ask you. Uh, we talked about the threefold increase in your numbers over the last year in terms of obviously the internet is is global. Uh where are your users distributed? Are they mostly concentrated in the US or uh, how does that stack up around the world?
1: We're about half of the US and forty five percent Europe and then five percent asia pacific so we are available like you can type in any language and we 're translated in a lot of languages, but we are pretty um, western country f- focused um, still but we 're trying okay. to you know expand beyond that
0: and one other thing uh, that we did not talk about is that you don 't have what you call a filter bubble, and I did not even realize this existed until I was getting ready for this show but what do you mean by a filter bubble
1: yeah i mean it's an interesting concept it's like you said it's a harder one to explain which is why we don't dwell on it as much as i think it deserves but the concept really is you know when you search on google your searches are tailored to you um and you know that in some senses, you know, could be perceived as a good thing, but in a lot of senses, it's negative, because what that really means is they're trying to please you, to show you things that you're more likely to click on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes on in a range of, like, your political views. So, if Google thinks that you're a Democrat, they're going to show you more Democrat links and mm-hmm. less opposing your viewpoints. And ultimately, that's putting you in a bubble, um, where you're not seeing kind of the real picture when you're doing research about topics. You're seeing things that Google thinks you're going to click on or that you already agree with. Mm-hmm. And since we don't track you, we actually show the same you know, unbiased links to um, everyone. Um, and so you're not in a bubble when you're searching on DuckDuckGo, and that's really the, the concept there.
0: Oh, that That's incredibly interesting. I had no idea that that was also occurring. But, you know, in addition to the concerns over privacy issues that you know, Snowden put into the news big time, one of the other things that you hear a lot about is the discourse. You mentioned politics, but in, in anything, and that people can tune in to whatever television, Television uh, station, they want to any cable station, and just hear their views. And the opportunity for us to hear those opposing views is is diminishing. We've got more information than ever, but sometimes we actually have less when it comes right down to it because we don't get we don't expose ourselves to those opposing viewpoints. So, uh, very very interesting. Uh, I had no idea that was going on. So, what do you think is the future of Duck, Duck, Go?
1: I mean, so we're pretty much focused on the simple thing of getting great results and great privacy and think that that appeals to a large percentage of people that most of those people don't know about us yet. So, I mean, our main goals in the next you know couple of years are just to keep focusing on those things, make a great search experience, and get the word out.
0: Yeah, and for those of, of us who, I mean – all of, obviously there are people as you mentioned that don't know about DuckDuckGo until today. And where would they go? What would they type into their browser? To is it DuckDuckGo.co?
1: Yeah, DuckDuckGo.com. And you can set your search engine, your default search engine in your browser right on the home page at the bottom. It says like use in uh Firefox mm-hmm. or Chrome or whatever you use. Um, you can set right. the home page too. And yeah, try it for a week.
0: Yeah, all of you out there listening go out there set it and see see what you think and and then let Gabe know I'm sure that somewhere through their your website they can get a hold of you.
1: You are right. Lots be of part feedback of that
0: link. community. Yeah, be part of that community. Gabriel, thank you so much for your time today and letting us know about this new alternative uh, to the, to our uh, browsing and to our searching. And I uh, wish you lots of luck in the future.
1: Thanks for having me. All right.
0: And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, please visit us at www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.